Thanks so much, guys. How are we doing, church? Good to see you all here this morning. It's, um, yeah, a real, real pleasure to um, be, yeah, I suppose just sharing and, and looking at this passage today with Em. Um, as Rob so rightly put, it is unfortunately a passage which has become pretty provocative and divisive for some people um, in our modern era. Um, and I think that, as, as Rob put very well, I think that hopefully through diving into it today, um, we can, yeah, sort of uh, diffuse some of that. Um, so, yeah, the reality is this, um, this, this passage is one that Em and I have, to be honest, in the past wrestled with a little bit. Um, and I think that's really good to admit. Um, but I think it's also when there's a, a passage or a verse which um, we take maybe a bit of offence to, I think it's really important to not just dismiss it <laughs> and not just kind of sweep it under the rug, um, but instead to continue journeying with it, um, to, yeah, just continue, I suppose, maybe even wrestling <laughs> with it. Um, I sort of think that when we take offence to like a, a piece of scripture or to God, that it can create division within our church and also disunity between us and God. So it's really important to continue going through it. But I suppose, um, again, as Rob, Rob, you pretty much just did the sermon for me, mate. I mean, it's done. What more can I say? But essentially, as we've seen over the past kind of few weeks looking at Ephesians, Paul has been painting this picture of unity in the church. This is sort of an overarching theme of Ephesians. Uh, and he hasn't been speaking for four and a half chapters about unity to then kind of at the end of chapter five hit us with a really provocative, divisive uh, symbol or, or language. That's, that wasn't his intention. In fact, it was kind of the complete opposite. He was actually trying to create unity through establishing a greater sense of equality, um, not through sort of continuing to, um, uh, you know, implement and and reinstate oppressive power structures that may have been around at the time. Um, so hopefully that's something that we can look at today. And uh, yeah, really excited to have Em here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in this passage we see... Oh, hello. Um, in this passage we see Paul talk about three different relationships. And in all of those, they're sort of the main ones um, that we'll probably interact with in our life. But in all of those, he gives us a call to action. And I guess the first thing for me in that was that in every relationship you have in your life, we're called to be active participants and not to just sit idly by and hope for the best. And so I think that's a great thing to underpin everything we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah, but across these relationships, the wives and husbands, the fathers and children and the slaves and masters, uh, he gives us a number of key calls to action. And in my mind, they were to submit, to love to not exasperate and to serve wholeheartedly. And there's a couple of other ones in the, in the verses there, but they're sort of the main ones that we wanted to look at today. And I'm going to start with submit. And what does this mean for us? And what does this mean for us in context of the Bible? And I think I wanted to start with that because the whole verse today is underpinned by this call for us to submit to our brothers and sisters in Christ um, out of reverence for Christ. And then wives are called to submit to their husbands. And the question is, how can we full out, fully live out that call to action if we don't understand what it fully means? 
So I decided to put my actor hat on for a bit this week. And for those of you who don't know, Murray and I actually met at acting school. And whilst that took a lot of our time and a lot of our money, it was great because we found each other there. Um, but the main thing that we sort of learnt when we were there is how to investigate a text for a character outside of ourself and how to understand what words on a page mean in context for you living out an action um, and how to apply that to an audience and help people understand what's happening. And it's really interesting when you look at Shakespeare, it's one of those texts that uses the same words as we would use today for the most part, but a lot of people don't understand what's going on and it's why students at school often find it really boring or they find it unapplicable because they don't understand what the words are meaning. And I decided to put my actor hat on and to sort of investigate what this word of submission means for us today. So, I, um, I decided to look up the dictionary definition and the dictionary definition of submit means to yield to the oneself, to the authority or will of another, to surrender. And to yield kind of means surrender. So to surrender oneself to the will or authority of another, to surrender. And then I decided to look at what surrender meant and that means to completely give up or agree to forego, especially in the favour of another. And for me, surrender has a different vibe to submit. I think personally, I, I have a response to the word submit just because I have personal um, connections to that word. You know, I see women treated differently throughout history um, to their male counterparts. It angers me and it frustrates me. But then I look at that definition and I have a different reaction. Surrender has a different vibe because it doesn't have the same context that submit does. And surrender involves a choice to give oneself up in the favour of another. And there's no status and there's no power and there's no ego because the very act of surrendering is not forced upon them. So our first call to action is to perform this task of completely giving oneself up over to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this applies to all people. This applies to me in relation to every single person in this room. Uh, it applies to me in relation to everyone behind the camera. It applied to me in relation to Murray before we were married. It applied to me in relation to Murray before we even were dating because he was my brother in Christ. And we're all called to surrender ourselves to each other because we love Jesus and out of reverence for Jesus. And then wives are called to do it to their husbands. But the thing is, is that they're already doing it to their husbands because their husband is a brother in Christ. And it's interesting because this simple act of surrender or submission does not require anything more of a wife in relation to her husband and it doesn't require her to be anything less. It just requires her to do as she was doing and as she does do to every other person um, that she interacts with in um, reverence for Christ. And then what is expected of her husband 
what is expected of her is also expected of her husband. Yeah, there's this kind of mutual submission that's spoken about at the start of surrendering to one another. Um, but then husbands definitely do not uh, get off scot-free because <laughs> uh, we are called to a pretty high expectation of to love our wives the way Christ loved the church, which I kind of don't need to go into too much, but essentially literally giving up our lives for our wives is what Jesus did for the church. He he died on a cross and gave up everything, um, which is definitely extreme. And, and hopefully on a literal level, nothing that a husband is ever put in in this room in a situation where they actually have to die for their wife. Um, we don't, we're not going to, you know, try and expect you to jump in from a bullet or anything. But I think that it is a kind of interesting thing to then look at this incredibly high standard that husbands are called to be uh, loving their wives the way that Christ loved the church. And it sort of can almost be such a huge um, sort of impossible standard to, to get that it can be a helpful thing to be like, okay, what does that mean on a daily basis? You know, as I said, we're probably not going to have to hopefully be put in a situation where we're jumping in front of a bullet for our wives on a daily basis. If not, maybe reassess your lifestyle. But it's definitely something that what can it look like practically for us? And I was sort of um, really drawn to this quote by John Stott um, in his commentary on, on this verse. Um, he wrote, the Giving of oneself to anybody is a recognition of the worth of the other. For if I give myself up, it can only be because I value the other person so highly that I want to sacrifice myself for them in order that they may develop their selfhood more fully. Now to lose oneself so that the other may find themselves, that is the essence of the gospel of Christ. So I really love this idea of how can we show sacrificial love to our wives, to our spouses in a way that they can step into a greater sense of identity in Christ. And I'm sort of thinking a bit about that. And I think just on a really basic level, just as a partner, making sure that they have the time and the energy and the resources to actually grow into that deeper sense of Jesus and grow into their own identity in Christ in a greater way. Um, so, look, I don't need to tell you guys, the sad reality is that there is still a really stark imbalance of unpaid domestic labor in, in a lot of households. And I'm preaching from the pews here. Like, I, this is something I can be better at as well. So I want to apologize to Em for that. Um, but it is definitely, I think, something that we really need to step up as as husbands to just recognize that especially in in our era where a lot of women are also working 40 hours a week and they're still expected to take on so much of that those domestic duties is that really giving them the amount of time energy resources that they need to continue to grow in their relationship in their faith in their in their identity in christ um so as i said i'm definitely preaching from the pews here but sacrificing serving and, and ultimately supporting our wives so that they can have the capacity to be a more fully realized daughter of God, um, I think is a really great practical challenge that we can take on as husbands um, today. <laughs> you know, go home and do the vacuuming or whatever it is um, to ensure that they do have that, that energy um, and that, yeah, those resources. Yeah, and so then we go on to the next call to action that Paul talks about, and that's for um, for obedience. And he calls that of both children and of slaves. And so again, I went to the dictionary definition, because in order to explore this, we need to understand what's being asked of us um, 
in obedience. And so, let me find it. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. So to obey is to follow the commands or the guidance of another. And that's one simple word, but it has two very clear directives. To command is very strong and clear, but to guide someone requires you to be on the journey with that person. And that's applicable of both a father or a parent and a master. And so I just want to go back to our first point. Submission is required, well, first point or the first verse of this um, this chapter today. Uh, submission is required of all people. So both a parent and a master need to be submitting to their child or their slave as a brother and sister of Christ out of reverence for Christ. The child and the slave must then do the same. So both parties can only receive the other submission through their own act of submission. And then both a parent and a master is required to journey alongside their child and their slave whilst commanding them. So parents are then not call, are called not to exasperate their children. And it's interesting because exasperate, I looked it up, is only used twice in the Bible. And both times it's in reference to a parent and a child relationship. And the other time is Colossians 3.21, also written by Paul. So obviously there's an awareness from Paul that raising children can be a challenge. And this is something that both Murray and I can't really relate to. So we're pros, obviously. To you, so we're not speaking from experience here. But Paul urges fathers to raise their children, which was requiring them to participate in their children's bringing up, which was not something common of the time. So he's asking them to go beyond what was um, culturally normal in the training and instruction of the Lord. And for me, this starts to make more sense of that definition of the word obey. It's calling children to follow their guidance and therefore it's calling uh, uh, masters and parents to give it. And then the last call to action that Paul gives us is for slavers to slaves to serve their masters wholeheartedly. And I think while this little bit of the chapter can have a lot to be explored, and I think there's almost a whole sermon in that, Murray and I have decided just to look at it today in the context of an employee-employer type thing or wherever you'd need to serve another person. And so one of the many definitions of service or serving is to be worthy of reliance or trust. Mm. And then to do this wholeheartedly is to be marked by complete and earnest commitment, free from all reserve or hesitation. So to those of us who are worthy of reliance and trust, which is virtually everybody because everybody in this room serves another person at some point in their lives, we need to take a moment to consider whether we are doing this wholeheartedly, whether we're doing it completely free from all reserve or hesitation, because ultimately your service to your master on earth is your service to your king in heaven. Yeah, so good. So, I mean, really, Paul, if you're going to summarise it, is in all of these relationships calling us to be markedly different and set apart in an extreme and holy way. 
Um, and if you start kind of looking at the historical context of what Paul's writing into, uh, it, it's actually quite extreme, some of the things that he's saying. Um, he was being provocative to that era um, and to those people in a way that, as we've already kind of said, is establishing greater equality. That's what he was actually trying to do. Um, using every relationship and interaction to point towards Jesus, uh, whether romantically intimate or you know transactory, mundane, it doesn't really matter. He's saying in every single one of our relationships, we should be using it as an opportunity to point both the other person in the relationship and the wider observers to Jesus. That's the whole point. So I think this idea of of being markedly different in every relationship for Paul was was quite profound. I mean, this idea of telling suddenly masters to serve their slaves was a crazy idea. Um, Aristotle, um, who was writing in a time when slaves and masters were still a thing of his culture, wrote, a slave is a living tool. Just as a slave is an inanimate... Oh, sorry. Just as a slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. A slave is a kind of possession with a soul. So it's a pretty dehumanizing way to view another person. And hopefully, I, I would assume, not a way in any employee-employer relationship is viewing today. But to go from that cultural perspective and suddenly going, masters serve your slaves, um, even the, the idea of calling parents to deeply invest in their children. Um, unlike the cultural norms um, of that time where fathers were very absent, um, the truth is on a legal level, fathers had the complete right to, to kill their child uh, when they were still under their care. And there was kind of no questions asked. That child was that person's property and they could do with them whatever they wanted as if they were an animal, essentially, you know, a, a farmer owning something. Um, and this is a crazy idea to suddenly tell these parents to be serving their children. And, and likewise, with even husbands and wives, I mean, there was a real lack of fidelity uh, in this era that Paul was speaking into. And even this, this idea of, of full commitment, um, of, of this idea, I mean, marriage in a lot of ways in that era was seen as much more of an agrarian trade deal a lot of the time, that they were agreeing to marry someone so that they could get land and all of these kind of things. And it was sort of this, this trading. And Paul is calling us to be so much better than all of that. And if he's calling an era where that was their social norms to be brought up to this. Imagine what he's now wanting of us to be called to. And it's about constantly lifting that standard. And as I've already said, I mean, as we're called to love like Jesus, that's an impossible standard for us to ever perfect. But that's why we can never be sort of, um, I, I suppose, um, lax in that. There's always, we can always be doing better. Um, so that's what it looked like then. But I think now, um, and this is sort of the, the last point that we wanted to speak about before we wrap up, this idea that I think the danger that we can sometimes be in in some of these relationships today is actually almost doing them too well. And here's what I mean by that. I think that we can be fall into the trap of idolizing the relationship or some, maybe the other person in that relationship more than Jesus so instead of these relationships, these dynamics pointing towards Jesus, they can start pointing towards each other. 
Um, I know that when Em and I were doing our, our marriage prep with our chaplain and his wife, um, he really wisely shared with us that for him, the thing that he struggles as a Christian man the most about marriage is not idolizing his wife to the point where he's putting her ahead of Jesus. So he's like, my wife is so amazing. I love her so much. She, you know, 90% of the time fulfills everything that I need. She makes me feel whole. She makes me feel loved. She brings peace into my life. She makes me feel valued. But that's a really unfair expectation to put on another human being because inevitably at some point it's, it's not, it's not a, a thing that they're going to be able to consistently serve on. So it's going to inevitably bring resentment, frustration, um, you know, a lot of sort of um, even disappointment into a relationship if we're constantly expecting that person to be our everything. And we need to be ensuring that we're always pointing towards Jesus, always putting Jesus at the center of our relationship. And likewise, that goes for parents and children as well. I know for me growing up, I definitely had some friends who were maybe a little bit too idolized by their parents. And Paul speaks about this idea of don't exacerbate your children. Well, I know that some of my friends would get incredibly exacerbated at times when suddenly these parents were living vicariously through them, putting all of these expectations and hopes and dreams on their children. And suddenly this, this exasperation actually comes from something which is seemingly on the surface level really noble to be serving and loving your children. But it needs to be under a guise of, of or not under a guise, under a, a, um, a situation of always putting Jesus at the center and being Jesus-focused. And likewise, finally, in that slaves and masters dynamic, as Em said, probably the most culturally applicable uh, comparison is employee-employer. Well, how guilty can we be in this day and age of being workaholics, of idolizing our jobs, of putting our, you know, our, our boss's praise on high, our, um, it, our possession of material worth kind of as we get better through promotion and climbing that corporate ladder? And all of this is working hard is a really important thing. You know, Paul makes it really clear in 2 Thessalonians to be working hard. He, he makes it perfectly clear that if you don't work, you don't eat. And he's calling people to be working hard because of, though, you're putting Jesus at the center of all that. So I suppose the challenge today for us is regardless if you've, you're in a, a current relationship where it's really unhealthy and putting Jesus at the center of it is going to make it more honoring, or whether you're in a relationship where maybe you're putting that person or that relationship on a pedestal, regardless of what end of the spectrum we're in, we need Jesus to be the center of it. And we need to be constantly pointing towards Jesus because that's the only way in all of our relationships that we're going to achieve fulfillment and have something which is actually lasting. So I want to uh, maybe invite the worship band back up. We'll uh, clear these stools so they can actually jump up. I was just going to quickly pray. So God, we just thank you so much for this passage that we've been able to look at today. We thank you what Paul has written to us. And we thank you for the constant call to put Jesus at the center. Lord, I just pray for this community today, those both here in the room with us and those joining us online. God, I pray that if um, while Em and I were talking today, there was a relationship that your spirit was really putting on their hearts that maybe needs to have Jesus recalibrated into the center to be more focused on Jesus 
submitting to one another because of their love in Jesus. God, I just pray that they'd be convicted right now to just surrender, to submit that relationship over to you. God, we just we just surrender to you. And we pray that that would be mirrored in all of our relationships more fully, both the ones that are healthy and the ones that are unhealthy. We invite you in to transform, to repair, to recalibrate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.